Hello and welcome back to Brain Dump. So um, this week we have Octavia on the show. Now, me and Octavia actually recorded an episode before, but for some reason it corrupted and, you know, that happens sometimes. So she was very kind enough to come back and record another one with me. So uh, we discuss a little bit her, her project studying um, dinosaur coloration, and um, that's through the University of Bristol. And um, a lot on mental health, which obviously is a you know, topic very close to my heart. And I think she was incredibly brave to speak about her personal journey. And we sort of discuss thoughts and feelings on the topic. So uh, without further ado, here's Octavia. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Brain Dump. This is a podcast where we talk about life from the meaningful to the, to the extreme. So I think we'll just get back into it. <clears throat> <laughs> right, so welcome back to Brain Dump, Octavia. Thank you. So this is take two. Cause, take two. Yeah, butchered it last time, but we'll... Second time lucky. Second time lucky. We'll, we'll, get, we'll get it working this time. So I'm going to start off like we did last time. Sure, yeah. Um, so we first met in... At like an open day in the life science building at University of Bristol, mm-hmm. and you gave a talk about a project you did. Um, so just enlighten us about what this project was on. Sure. So um, it's looking at um, dinosaur coloration um, and um, the coloration in feathers, because dinosaurs were actually a lot of them were feathered, which is quite surprising. Um, so it's just kind of. Uh, extracting some proteins from feathers called melanosomes which are like these tiny little proteins which you find in hair and skin which give us our skin color and hair color etc um and yeah i just extract those from feathers and um go through kind of like a chemical extraction process and then um look at them under the scanning electron microscope so kind of thousands of um times magnification um and yeah basically just looking at the shape of them and then based on the shape of the melanosomes you can then decide what color that feather was okay so you're you're testing these feathers presumably they're like fossilized feathers um so i haven't primarily been working on the fossilized feathers but yes that is uh one aspect of the project i've been working on um kind of extant um, you know, bird species and their feathers. Um, so the idea is, is that we do it with fossilized feathers and with extant feathers and then um, comparing the two. And so um, not only can we see kind of the coloration of the dinosaurs, but also um, the melanosomes kind of change shape over time. So they can actually give us an indication of dinosaur and bird evolution at the same time as well. Okay, so you're getting, let's say, I don't know, a bright pink bird. Yes. You're testing its feathers. <laughs> yeah. And then you're getting these feather, uh, these fossils, and yeah. you're testing the fossils, and then yeah. you're matching up the melanosomes on both. Exactly. And so, what color are dinosaurs? <laughs> um, so a lot of them were kind of like the grey, black, um, you know, colors that we see in birds today, and you know, blackbirds and magpies and stuff. Um, but a lot of them were also a bit funky. Um, and kind of had uh, red and orange kind of fiery colours and stuff, um, which is 
kind of weird. Yeah, no, that's really, really cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so where did this take place? At the Life Sciences Building in Oh, in sweet. UAB. And who, who are you working with? Uh, Jakob Winther. Oh, cool. Yeah, so yeah. he's the main guy. Um, and then I was working with one of his PhD students who's um, just finished his project now. So Nice. Um, yeah. Are you planning to pursue this kind of biology? Um, no, probably not long term. It's something that I want to do kind of, you know, on the side because I do love paleobiology and paleontology. Um, but um, no, I think I'm more interested in uh, conservation at this point and uh, marine biology studies. Mm. So, yeah, this has just kind of been like a bit of a side project just to... Um, you know more get more experience in research and stuff um so we are hoping to be in talks fairly soon about a paper published oh, publication sweet. so um yeah that that's would be, super that exciting, would be amazing that's really cool <laughs> yeah maybe on the etal <laughs> that's the plan that is the plan <laughs> oh, the dream the dream um so yeah you're also a really mm-hmm. big mental health advocate yes so why are you sort of getting involved in mental health? So um, I suffer with depression, anxiety, um, and have done for kind of most of my life. Um, First kind of, you know, got diagnosed by a doctor when I was about 11. So it's quite early in my life. Um, And had many mental health issues after that. So um, self-harm, anorexia. um, And it's just kind of an ongoing thing, which um as you know we kind of have to battle with all the time um and um i just think it's really important to be open about it so that people can start these kind of conversations um because that kind of you know is what leads to people getting helped and feeling better yeah 100 was incredibly brave of you um when did this start um when did it start as in, when did I start sort of, kind of... Well, when did you start realising... Well, when did other people... Because I often think it's other mm. people that notice it in you first. Mm. When did that sort of, you know, kick off, as it were? Well, I suppose it did start when I was about 11 or 12. People started to notice that there was things going on. Um, but I guess nothing was really addressed properly until I was about 15, I guess. Mm. Um, was kind of like you know forced into counseling school counseling and stuff but um no everyone just thought it was a phase yeah yeah which is i think quite common especially in teenagers um oh you know it's just a phase mm-hmm. um so yeah around that age yeah it's difficult because there's definitely a thing about teenage angst like every teenager mm-hmm. we know can be moody but then i feel like not addressing underlying emotions that you know are disregarded as teenage angst only prolong suffering yeah of course um and so yeah and so when did you start self-harming uh at 11 at 11 yeah yeah. (laughs) yeah and um why do you think what was the cause behind that um i think it just been kind of a build-up in my life of emotion um you know there'd been stuff going on at home with my parents and um i was an only child so i think i felt really isolated as Mm. well especially at home um and i was just quite an angry person actually um about kind of everything going on really 
um and yeah it was just a a a one-off thing of trying to you know take out some of that anger and then it you know went on for years after Mm. so no i completely agree with that i find that um I think we were saying last time how physical pain is much, much easier to deal with than emotional pain. Absolutely. And so like, you know, self-harm, you get this rush of endorphins. You can sort of tolerate that and it can get quite addictive. But ultimately, it's the release from mental suffering that you're sort of craving. Yeah. Yeah. And I find that fascinating that like, even as an 11-year-old, that is a sought-after treatment. Yeah. Well, I mean... I do kind of I I still even remember now like the first time I did it to myself mm. and I remember just I was just crying and I was so angry and I literally just picked up a pair of scissors and just like mm. you know kind of like went across my arm and it wasn't even me thinking about you know what should I do it was just kind of like a one off split decision mm. split second decision and um and then I was like oh well I feel a bit better after that and yeah, yeah, that's kind of how that's it all literally starts. The same as me. That's so weird. I mean, I felt incredibly guilty afterwards. Did you have similar sort of feeling? No, you didn't. Interesting. No, I never felt guilt at all. Um, which is weird because I know that most people do. Mm. Um, I've only ever felt guilt kind of if it's happened recently or within the last few years. Yeah. I start to feel guilty after it, but initially not at all. No. Okay, that's interesting. No. It's interesting how you know different phenomena. Like we both both manifested. We've had the same sort of self harm sort of experience, but dealt with it very differently, and the outcomes have been very different. Mm. Um. So you've also mentioned that you had an eating disorder. So when yes. did that all start? Um. That was from the age of about fifteen. Um. Okay. Fifteen to I guess 18 I had an eating disorder um it wasn't you know a serious enough eating disorder for me to be um admitted into hospital or anything um but yeah that was just kind of another way of me controlling my life and um basically just part of you know a long list of self-destructive behavior really Mm. it was yeah for most of my childhood and teenage life it was just kind of just always in self-destruct that was mm. my the easiest way of kind of dealing with something rather than talking it through or trying to deal with my emotions it was just easiest to just be like okay well now I can you know harm myself in some way to feel better so true I like my sister had an eating disorder mm. and um I feel like when your life is in turmoil the one thing you can control is how you treat yourself Yes, And so, you know, by restricting your calories or self-harming, that is the one thing in your life that you actually have power over. Yeah, and so it's exactly. easy to, you know, manipulate your own life in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, I feel like sometimes, like, particularly in a teenage brain, when if you feel like, it's interesting, I'm reading a book at the moment. Mm-hmm. And in the book, he talks about how when you're a child, you're almost one with the world. Like you can't tell the difference between yourself and everything else. Like you, when you're hungry, the world is hungry. When you want to play, everyone wants to play. Um, it's only as you get older do you realize that if you're hungry, 
not everyone else is hungry or if mom doesn't feed you you're still hungry or if you want to play and mom doesn't want to play you're realizing there's a difference between that sure and i feel like um that is a really lonely time for Mm. people like Mm. when you go into your teenage years and you feel like you are living this world on your own um that's a pretty scary thought and i think if you start to think negatively about yourself then it only perpetuates and it can build up so from the age of 11 you know you've developed sort of a self-hatred for yourself and i think it manifests in these you know sort of eating disorders and self-harming and we see those things but we don't like look deeper or beyond that do you think your self-harm was a um like a symptom or a cause or how do you view self-harm i would view it as a symptom Hmm. most definitely yeah i think and what about the eating disorder um yeah that's an interesting question um perhaps not quite as a symptom really with my eating disorder um i'm not really sure what it was actually Mm. um was there any particular trigger at all um well i do remember there was one evening where i had a a really large fight with my mum and i refused to eat dinner that one night no idea why Mm. um and it was the day after that I then started to think about food. Okay. Because I'd never really taken any note or thought about, you know, what I was eating, what I shouldn't be eating. I just kind of ate what was put down in front of me. And it was kind of after that that I started to think, oh, well, you know, I could skip breakfast and then skip lunch. And mm. um, yeah. It's interesting that because that almost like highlights the point when you realize that you could control that. So, mum and dad provide you with food and you eat this food, but you have the power to say no. Mm -hmm. And that's, you know, in a a young child's mind, can be quite destructive. But I feel like what annoys me is we label that as such a childlike state when in reality there are adults all over the world who have eating disorders and it's a way of controlling and helping with their own trauma rather than anything else. Um, so at what point did you start to get better? Um, the point at which I went on my gap year, um, my gap year, gap year. <laughs> to Africa. Um, yeah, it was during that year, actually, it was kind of, I was out of education. Um, I was, I think a lot of my issues, you know, I mean, I still suffer with things now mm. um but i think the re- one of the reasons why it was so so bad when i was younger was because i've always been a very independent person um and i think living at home and being very much um people kind of controlling me and being at school and teachers controlling you i mean you know i know that that's yeah. <laughs> that's kind of the way it is when mm, you're that yeah, age yeah. but i think um that really was part of my issue that I just really wanted to just be doing things on my own and just kind of, um, you know, dealing with stuff on my own. Um, and during my gap year, I was, um, you know, I was working full time, um, wasn't thinking about exams, exam stress. 
um and I suddenly started to feel like you know I was almost starting a life of my own Mm. outside of home outside of parents um and yeah I think that was the first kind of um time in my life where I I did start to feel better yeah interesting because my sister did exactly the same thing she um she was anorexic she we were at this this college me and her together and she was adamant she wanted to go to a different college and like um the college I was at was helped me so much with my dyslexia and I wouldn't have had the grades Mm -hmm. that I have without that sort of support so we like well parents were like you know you should stay at the school because it's you know done Connor so well but India like stuck to her guns and went to an entirely different college and as a result was able to find more friends that actually were like her like recreate her old sort of individual sort of identity and I think that must have helped so much it sounds like your gap year was a really similar sort of release from that yeah definitely definitely yeah my gap year was certainly part of it and then of course the really big change for me was university Mm. um you know looking back on it now because of course we're both graduating on Thursday and I think that really university probably to some extent actually saved my life oh I couldn't agree more literally couldn't agree more like yeah it's funny having said that, having said that, because my suicide attempt was at university, but I'm like, I feel like I was living this sort of fake, false life up until university when I was putting out a persona of who I thought I should be. Absolutely. And then uni was like, you can be whoever you want to be. Stop pretending. Exactly the same yeah. as me. I just, I had, I had no idea who I was absolutely no idea who I was and my parents are very different people so I was you know kind of going between their houses and I was almost feeling like I was being two different people Mm. um, and kind of changing personalities depending on who I was seeing that one day or weekend or whatever Um, and then suddenly at university it was scary at first because I was like I have no idea who I am absolutely Mm. no clue who I am um but gradually as time went on um you know you start to start to find yourself yeah (laughs) as cheesy as it sounds as cheesy as it sounds it is you know it's true um and yeah um I think that was you know really positive positive experience yeah it's funny that um we 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 all take the mick about finding ourselves but I think it's also you kind of you almost learn yourself. Like mm-hmm. you, you learn. Oh, okay. These are my flaws. I'm not very good in this area. Or, oh, I actually love doing this. I shouldn't deny this for myself. And you almost learn how to love yourself. Um, yeah. And do you do you think that sort of your the relationship with your parents and them both being you know separate houses and divorced and all that affected your relationship with yourself when you were younger? Yes. Yeah, um, I would say definitely. Um, I think, um, you know, they never intentionally did anything to mm. to make me feel that way at all. Um, but I think really I didn't because I was always told, you know, my m- for example, my mum would always say, um, you know, oh we we um we did the best that we could, and I think that you know under the circumstances we've 
we uh, separated under really good circumstances and you know Octavia's fine mm. and I used to say I used to hear her saying to her friends all the time that I was fine mm. and so I think to some extent I was like well I guess I have to be fine yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know I can't just turn around and say well actually I'm not fine mm. um but yeah I kind of convinced myself that their separation really didn't have an effect on me at all because that was kind of almost what I was being told that it didn't have an effect on mm. me and it's actually only been very recently you know 17 years later um <laughs> that i've been in quite intensive therapy and mm. spoken a lot about um my past and my early childhood that i've actually realized that it did have more of an effect on me than i thought 100 percent. i i feel the same like um my parents are divorced but i, I was a bit older than you mm. um but i feel like it's kind of like the first real rejection you get and at quite a fundamental stage in your life when, you know, your parents break up and when your world is everything you see in front of you, you, can, you can't help but blame yourself. You think, well, I must be unlovable because, you know, I've torn these two people apart. In reality... As you get older and you're more yeah. mature, you realise that that's not the case. Of course. Um, but it, it does also make you feel like you're fighting for the affection of both your parents. Mm. And I think as a result, your interpretation of what like love is and how to love and how to be loved gets really, really warped. Um, and so I think that, you know, I feel I can really resonate with that. Yeah, that's a really like good way of describing it, actually. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and how do you feel that, like, friends and that helped? Well, my friends were and are my family mm-hmm. um, because I really don't have much family here apart from my parents and my half-brother. Um, everyone else is kind of abroad. So um, for me, I felt very alone, very isolated, um, kind of dotting between two houses all the time, not really knowing where I lived, who I was, anything. Um, and I've also, I'm, I'm a very social person. So I go insane, basically, <laughs> if I haven't seen another human being mm. for only, I can't really handle it for more than a day, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Um, I need to be around people. Um, so when I was younger, um, I was happiest at school when I had a big circle of friends. Um, and then I'd go home and just be, you know, me and one of my parents and just, you know, feel... Mm depressed yeah, really. yeah um but yeah my friends are um you know some of the most important people in my life interesting because i was completely opposite i was um you know i didn't really like people <laughs> <laughs> i mean i still don't really yeah. like i i like people individually i don't yeah. like humanity as a whole but that's yeah. a, that, <laughs> that's another podcast i feel yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so true so true no um but it's funny how when you feel down and you feel sad and you're sort of hating yourself, the first thing you want to do is isolate yourself, mm. even though that's like the one thing you know that you don't really enjoy. Um, and I find that like, because self-harm, I don't know, 99% of the time happens just you in your, in your own world, like Absolutely. hidden away from society. Yeah. And so I find that like, if anyone like walked in on me i'd be like oh you know it's okay i have someone to sort of reassure me and everything will be all right kind of thing 
Um, but I almost feel like when you're in that sort of negative headspace, I feel like depression and all that is almost a bit of a parasite that sort of oh, you know yeah. takes yeah. on takes a part of you and you can't even shake it off because you can't determine what's you and what's the parasite almost. I think that's a I think that's the hardest thing that I'm facing at the moment actually. I mean, um, a lot of days, even now, I'm still, you know, really struggling to just mm. kind of stay up over water. And I think that's kind of something I'm probably going to have to deal with my whole life. Um, but I think even now, um, it's so difficult because people that don't suffer with a mental illness or don't suffer with depression or, or whatever, they, they think that you're being negative and mm. that if you think about things more positively you know you'll cheer yourself up and oh it will be okay you know why are you seeing you know the world this way and I find that really frustrating because I mean no one suffering with depression wants to feel that way mm. you know no one's like right today I'm gonna feel crap mm, about yeah, yeah. the whole world mm. you know it's never the case um and I think that's you know an ongoing area of understanding that people which is why having these conversations is really important because mm. i think people sometimes um don't necessarily understand how that how works. awful how yeah. awful it is actually mm. to have this in your brain 100%. where you where you want to be happy you want to get on with life and there are some days that you know you just want to curl up in a ball and you know throw yourself off a bridge so mm, yeah yeah it's 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 it is a difficult aspect of mental health I think because uh I feel like it's a double-edged sword when you when you feel the depths of how awful depression can be it allows you to also see how incredible life can be and how beautiful Absolutely. it can be and you can empathize with like I find that the people I get closest with and get to know like my best mates have a lot of depth to them have like mm -hmm. you know and often there it stems from some kind of you know mental health um issue um it definitely I th i'd say it definitely gives you perspective mm, on oh things, yeah definitely on things a lot better and i know that the days where i am feeling really good um you know i appreciate those days mm. so much no definitely and i think that's you know part of part of it is it's almost like a spectrum of feeling i think mm -hmm. it's it's funny how it is very cyclical so these cycles manifest and i feel like sometimes when i'm in a rut i feel a certain way because it's almost familiar and it's almost like a it's weird how sometimes you kind of want to feel sad because sadness is all you really knew yeah and so as a result it feels comfortable with that yeah yeah it's it's a it's a weird one isn't it because mm. yeah exactly the same as me when i start to feel bad i'm like oh well you know i've been here before and it's okay and it's mm. it's the it's almost comforting yeah yeah almost it's, it's yeah um which sounds really messed up um but it kind of does feel that way um but then at the same time it also comes with a huge amount of fear mm. for me because I'm oh, just yeah, like, yeah. you know, if I'm feeling this way today and tomorrow, who's to say that suddenly I'm not going to be back yeah, to where yeah. I was before? I think that's what's really scary. I think for me, it's like uh, one of my good friends always says there's a difference between overwhelmment 
and depression, right? Absolutely. And so the first thing I do Absolutely. is like, when I'm feeling this like awful, are there reasons for me feeling this awful? And if I go, okay, well, I'm really stressed at uni work, got to move house. I'm like, well, okay, that's stress that I can sort of understand. Those are the reasons, yeah. but I'm feeling terrible kind of thing. But that prolongedness is, is, is a scary thing. But I think along with sort of the familiarity of it, it allows you to identify it. All right, so it's very easy to go, I have depression, which is great because it means that you, now, you know where your vulnerabilities lie. Yeah. But if you say, you know, I'm a person with depression and like that becomes your identity, you become this walking, breathing, depressed person, then I think it becomes a choice that you make. Yeah, you almost absolutely. choose to like that lifestyle absolutely. and and it is whenever i talk to people with mental health uh issues it's really difficult to be like look you need to make effort to change because the last thing you want to say is like well i am trying and i'm like i know you feel like you are but it's scary and it's terrifying but you have to force it like it feels so alien because you've been living in that dark, depressed state for so long. Yeah. That anything other than that, you don't believe you're, you're worthy of love. So you shy away from it. But, like, you know, that's what I'd, I'd recommend to some people, I think. Yeah, no, absolutely. I've, you know, I've got a couple of friends at the moment and they're going through the exact same process. So they're in a bad way, but they're doing nothing to help themselves. Mm. And it's, you know, it's, um, it's important to visualise mental health you know and an illness as being like any other illness you know if you would come down with you know let's say appendicitis for mm. example um you wouldn't just sit at home in pain <laughs> for a long period of, well I'd hope you wouldn't anyway <laughs> <laughs> um but you know you go to the doctors because you're like you know I'm in pain mm. help me out and I think it's the exact same thing with mental health um stuff and issues really um the first step does come from you seeking help which is you know the difficult step because of course many people you know and for years I didn't want any help at all mm. um, and it really has only been recently that I've decided that I want to help myself mm. um, but yeah you're absolutely right you can you can uh, get into that familiarity cycle um, mm. but I think once you're out of that cycle that's kind of when you then realize that actually rather than you being a depressed person you have days where you feel crap yeah exactly and then suddenly you realize okay you know i have an issue as opposed to mm. because now you know i mean i get the odd day where i just feel awful mm. and i sit down and i think well what is making me feel awful and there is nothing mm. <laughs> you know there's absolutely nothing that i can pinpoint as to that feeling and it's kind of just accepting, okay, I have this problem. Some days I'm going to feel like this for no apparent reason because, you know, we've got some sort of weird chemical <laughs> imbalance going on. God knows what's actually happening. Um, and, yeah, and just recognising that and wanting to help yourself. Mm, I've, wanting to help yourself is a big one. Like, I feel like what you said there about accepting it. Honestly, I think a lot of sort of depression and all this is triggered by something you're not accepting there's something yes. stuck in your system yeah. that you're kind of like like i don't know i think i always want to be a hard guy and 
like macho or kickboxing and that. And I realized actually I'm kind of a goofy nerd, you know, like doesn't mean I can't. And that's okay. Yeah, there's nothing <laughs> wrong with that. Like, you know, and I'm yeah. actually growing to like that part of me. Like, um, and I think as a result, you'll become a much more wholesome person when you accept things. But like you said, like when you have shit days, you've just got to accept, well, you know, this is, this is also part of life. If everything was handy dandy the whole time, like we wouldn't have any fun. Um, cause you know, that's very true. And I think, I think it's important. I think it's like, you know, it comes down to sort of, you know, you can't unlearn anything. So once you know that this is a thing, this is, you know, you've learned that about yourself, mm. you can only make steps forward. Yeah. And if any steps backwards is usually externally triggered, so a lot of stress or something, or it's, um, you're like falling into that familiar pattern again. Yeah. Like, of course, everyone stagnates. You know, you have bad days. Like, that's completely natural. But like, if you ever start digressing, I feel like you then need to up the, the force, like up the, uh, the effort on doing everything that makes you feel good. I feel like, for me personally, I know that I have to meditate and I have to do all the things that I know are good for me when I'm feeling good because when I'm feeling bad that's the last thing I want to do (laughs) yeah no you're absolutely right it's because you start to understand kind of what triggers are there as well Mm. um so I know you know going back to certain places or doing certain things I'm probably going to feel a bit crap afterwards Mm. um but yeah absolutely it's finding out what um makes you feel good and you know for you it's meditation and um kickboxing and stuff Mm. and for me it's dancing um at the society at uni and going to the gym and um reading and just being outside really with people um so yeah that's really important it's kind of just part of I think when I was younger I almost felt guilty about doing things that made me feel better interesting you know um I'd have the odd day where I'd suddenly actually feel okay Mm. And I'd get home and I'd be like, oh, well, that was a bit scary and that was weird. Mm. Um, Whereas now it's the opposite. Now it's kind of just doing as much as I can to, um, you know, make myself happy. Mm. So all about self-love, self-care. It literally is, though. And it's weird that um, I used to have this thing where I, like, I used to train so much, like, training was kind of like my eating disorder where I just did loads and loads and loads of exercise um but I needed permission to have a day off it was weird it was like I would either ring my coach or like my parents and be like that I'm absolutely battered you know I've trained like four hours the last four hours today and the last like three weeks come by like I'm really really tired and they'd be like yeah, of course, just chill out, you know, like, what are you it's doing? It's fine. This? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But in my mind, it was like, I don't know, I just needed sort of someone else to be like, it's okay, you know, but in reality, I just needed to learn to be able to give myself that permission. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, no, exactly the same as me, whereas now it's kind of the opposite. I, <laughs> I need someone telling me, like, you know, to, <laughs> to do my work now because I'm just like, every day is a weekend. <laughs> spend my life chilling out. Yeah. Um, but yeah no absolutely it's interesting you almost have to be disciplined with yourself in both regards like you know you've got to discipline yourself to have fun but you've also got to discipline yourself to work hard and it's like 
it's a really i was gonna say it's a really difficult medium medium um you know that fine line area um because yeah because you know during exams and stuff i think that's the hardest thing that i go through because i mean obviously trying to discipline myself to work and stuff um whereas i honestly to be to be fair i think i really did just burn myself out at a levels no i don't think i fully recovered from a levels ever yeah um but yeah and then of course you're also trying to then find time to do other stuff that you want to do because i know that you know sitting at home and spending my life working i'll just start to get back into that you know that depressed cycle Mm. so it's difficult very difficult and a lot of energy can go into it 100 percent. and i think like your dance is like a perfect example where you would have had to put in a lot of effort and you know a lot of courage to meet new people you know in an environment that you know you might feel a bit awkward in but you have gained a network of people like a community or a tribe that is really really beneficial for you you play a part in it and they play a part in your lives and so everyone can bounce off each other it's quite healthy i think yeah and in in fact apart from anything apart from obviously dance just being a great thing to do you know health wise fitness wise in some ways it had more of an impact on me because um i do a lot of ballet and contemporary dancing Mm. and you wear leotards when you're when you're doing that yeah um and that was a really big step for me because of course i've got a lot of scars Mm. on my arms and on my legs and stuff and so in actual fact dancing in a leotard and kind of getting used to people seeing my scars Mm. and being aware of it actually is transferred over into just my normal life Mm. um and you know now i'm not um now i'm not really bothered about you know wearing summer tops and stuff yeah that's fantastic i um for me, it was one of the... I used to wear, like, an armband. Yeah, I two, think we spoke about this yeah, before, last so time, I did yeah. as well, yeah. And it was terrifying taking yeah. it off. I would never take that off. I would, I would, the only time I would take it off... It's like a little comfort blanket, Yeah, isn't it? literally. It was yeah. like... It was almost like it hid all my shame. Like, yeah. with that armband, it was all right. I had an injured elbow. No one would know any better. And then I would get in the shower, and it would have to come off. And I would just hate myself. And it was just insane that this one piece of cloth sort of was like a lie to myself it was with this on i can be whoever i want to be i can pretend to my heart's content but i know the reality of that isn't true Mm. and i was just lying to myself my whole life with this whole piece of cloth yeah no i mean i went through the the exact same thing i did upgrade from the normal armband though i started to get like little arm warmers oh okay (laughs) cute little patterns on and stuff but yeah no exactly the same thing it does become kind of a i remember being at school and stuff and just knowing it was there like under my shirt Mm. and stuff and you know just feeling better yeah um and felt really exposed without one yeah on my arm yeah yeah um definitely so yeah it's kind of funny that we went through that similar thing Mm. we spoke about this last time as well but I personally, anyway, feel like sometimes I haven't got enough scars, or I haven't got like, mm. like I've got, I've got some scars, and some of them are like dangerously deep. But I'm always like, like I don't feel bad enough. Like I feel like there are people who I don't know. It becomes like a comparison game. 
which I think is so, so toxic. And I think really that's something that everyone that has gone through self-harm or an eating disorder goes through. Mm. It does it does become a comparison game. And you know, I when I first started self-harming, I didn't have a phone or internet. Mm. God, that makes me feel old. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, none of that stuff. Social media wasn't prevalent. Nothing like that. And now I look at social media and I'm like, you know, God, if I'd had this when I was going through my bad phase, mm. you know, it would have been even worse. And yet exactly the same as me. Um, you start to compare your scars to another person's scars or mm. your cuts to someone else's cuts and you're like oh well they have more and they look worse yeah, than yeah. mine so you know they're clearly suffering with more than i am mm. and you know and it, it's just i mean it's ridiculous isn't it oh, um it's, it's obscene it's absolutely obscene. and it's a it's a similar thing with an eating disorder actually yeah. because when i went to get help for my eating disorder they would weigh me all the time but then they would say to me, you know, you are, you are like, you know, a stone and a half, two stone underweight, mm. but your BMI is not low enough for us to admit you into hospital. Yeah, and of course, you know, that's okay, but they shouldn't have told me yeah, that. Yeah, I agree, yeah. You know, that should just be something that they just keep to themselves. Yeah. Because of course, then I was working towards that new lower BMI mm. um, and... You know, I know that does happen a lot with people that have eating disorders. Um, but but realistically, it's, you know, it doesn't matter if someone's got one scar and another person's got 100 scars. Mm. You've all been through the same thing, the same feelings, um, the same difficulties. Um, and, you know, just because someone's expressed it once doesn't mean that they have any less mm. turmoil going on. Mm. Um, and it's just a, it's a stupid human thing to do to compare to one another 100%. it's ridiculous 100 percent. i literally think like everyone's story is completely different but the journey out of there is almost the same absolutely and i think like we get so caught up on looking at the differences when actually we should look at the similarities i feel like this comparison thing although probably accelerated by social media is like is that familiarity thing? It's like, well, I'm I'm used to this darkness. How dark can we get? And it just buries itself. It's like a, a parasite that just digs and digs and digs. And I think we need to stop focusing on like how the darkness and look towards sort of what we can do to help. And because I feel like um one of the things that I've done with my like own Instagram feed is I follow only the closest my closest friends and people i find interesting and then the rest is just like rubbish. self well it's it's i've cleaned all the rubbish mm. i've made to get rid of all the rubbish i want to i've only put like motivational quotes and sort of self-help quotes because i feel like i just want to inject positivity into my life because i know that when i'm having a bad day i will seek out the quotes that are like you're nothing and bloody blah, blah, blah. and i just resonate with that and i'm like I'm resonating with the wrong things so yeah no 100 percent. i couldn't agree with that anymore actually um i'm the same in the sense that i do only follow people i mean i follow far too many people <laughs> <laughs> but um i do go through a cleaning every now and again mm. um a purge a purge exactly um with certain people or celebrities that just post utter rubbish mm. 
and it's just like you know selfies of themselves with absolutely no caption or anything and just you know it's just all it's it's ridiculous but I think that for me it's kind of now that I've come out on the other side Mm. I almost feel like I have a responsibility 100% to help other people and I found it amazing kind of the response that I have got because mm. I thought I'd be posting stuff and saying stuff and people would just be like, yeah, whatever, it's Ortega yeah, yeah, and one yeah, of her other yeah. rants, you know. Um, but actually the feedback that I have got has been really actually very moving for me. Mm. Um, I had one experience uh, where some people were coming around um, to have a look at the life sciences building. Okay. Um, I think it was last summer and I was giving them a tour. Um, and I was wearing like a strappy jumpsuit and I had my arms out and everything and um, went really well. And as they were leaving, this girl came up to me and she was like, can I talk to you for a minute? And I was like, of course. Um, and she just broke down, mm. just just started crying. And, you know, I was asking her, I was like, my gosh, are you OK? What's wrong? What's happened? And she was just like, I just wanted you to know that I am going through self-harm right now. And me seeing you at university discussing your research you know with this life Mm. in front of you and having those scars on show has really had a massive impact on me yeah and I that was kind of the turning point for me because during that period I was going through kind of like oh you know I I wish that I could have some plastic surgery to get rid of these scars and you know I don't want them here anymore and that was a turning point for me where I suddenly realized actually my scars and everything I've gone through Mm. can have an impact a positive impact Mm. on other people and it's been a similar response i've got from social media just being so open about everything um and people coming up to me just randomly and just being like thank you for what you said the other day i really appreciate it and that to me is you know it's about as rewarding as you can ever get really oh my god it's a beautiful story that like i i completely resonate with that because uh, I've been on both sides of the story where when I was going through my sort of heavy cutting phase uh, and I was like really suffering, I was working as an outdoor pursuits instructor mm-hmm. and one day sort of the school of, I don't know what they, they called them, they're like sort of disadvantaged kids right. and one of the boys who's probably about you know, 15 just covered in scars but they were all white. And for me, I was like, wow, he must have been self-harming really young for them to all to have healed. And it just gave me like the biggest hope ever because I still had like fresh cuts all over me. And this boy who was way younger than me and had obviously experienced something tragic had come out the other side Mm. at such a young age. And I was like, there is an end to this. There is hope. And then also I did a sort of, be mankind campaign with my friend um olivia and she sort of i did a video talking about my own sort of mental health and the number of messages i got from people but also like parents who were coming to me and saying you know i really respect your honesty and this is going through in my family and and that was when i kind of realized like you were saying about how wearing your vulnerability on your sleeve and being like this is who i am take it or leave it yeah you're going to push some people away and people might not like that but then you're left with people of gold like these people like they like you for who you are so there's no shame in just being exactly that absolutely yeah i i i couldn't i couldn't agree with that anymore and um 
you know as much as social media can be a negative thing mm. you can also massively turn it into a a positive a positive experience and um a positive experience for other people in your life um and yeah i you know i'm just i'm very grateful um of the people in my life and even more kind of grateful and proud when i can you know touch other people's lives in ways that i really hadn't expected i could do before mm. I feel like you can empathize with it. And I think gratitude is definitely definitely the thing. I can only look back now with gratitude. Even after all the crap, I think I'm actually quite grateful I went through that because yeah. it taught me so much. Yeah, me too, which is a, a weird thing. But mm. yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you know, at the end of the day, we, uh, we wouldn't be who we are today. <laughs> you know, so. <laughs> yeah. Well, thanks, Octavia. Thanks for that. No um, problem. Thank you for having yeah, me back. Brilliant. No, it's round, round two. Round two. <laughs> <laughs> And that's a wrap for this episode. So uh, I hope you enjoyed. I hope people can take away something from this. Um, I'm always is if anyone wants to talk about mental health or anything in this subject area because I feel like it's something I um, have learned a lot from and I've sort of dedicated my life now to reading books about mental health and all that. Um, so yeah, if you ever want any help at all, uh, huge thank you to Octavia. I think it takes a lot of balls to come on a show like this and talk about your thoughts thoughts and feelings um so yeah um yeah that is that for this week's episode so adios